We are in week six of our study on the first, first John, and we've been doing this all summer, and the reason we do this, uh, we're doing this, is that a lot of times, as Christians, we don't study God's Word. Sometimes what we do is just maybe pick, pick up little snippets of it somewhere and just read it real quick, or maybe just in our devotional and check mark the box and move through the day, and I say this in my small group, and I've said it before, sometimes we just get into God's Word just to get through it, but we don't get into it to let it get through to us. And so this summer, we're, we're, we're diving in just to a book of the Bible, 1 John, and you know we, we've been showing or encouraging you, like, it's okay to write in your Bible, you know, underline, highlight, circle, words, puts cross-references in the column, and we're just encouraging that that's how you can study. And I, I remember in my last church when I first became a Christian that um, I was in an adult Bible study, and I didn't really you know what this was all about, but I sat down beside this older woman, and she had a Bible, and it was really dog-eared up, and you could tell it was used. And when she opened it up, that thing had notes everywhere, little bookmarks, tags. I mean, she used three colors of highlighters. I'm like, whoa, this lady must have went to school with Jesus. I mean, she was like in tune to God's word, and she was studying God's word. And that's what we're doing this summer. And as well as digging through 1 John, we also put the challenge out there to memorize scripture. And we're trying to memorize 1 John, first chapter. And we've got three months to just keep, you know, write it on an index card. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day. And just try to memorize little bits of it and then someday pull together. We don't do that so in August we can, you know, raise our hands and say, hey, look at me. We do that so we get God's word in our heart, and then we can retrieve it back in different times of need and just have God's word in our heart. That's why it's good to memorize. So, we're, so as we've been looking in First John, you might, and if you've been here these past six weeks, or at least part of it, you can kind of tell that John is a little blunt. He's right in your face telling it like it is. And some people like to have that attribute in them, and some people don't like that. And some of us might sit up straight a little bit when we hear some of the scripture being read. And, uh, and, and I started thinking, you know, why do we feel that way? You know, and I, I was struggling with that. And like when John was writing this, there was a lot of confusion in the first century about, and, and specifically confusion about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Fast forward 2,000 years later, 2022, there's still a lot of confusion what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so this was applicable to the people, the hearers, as it is today, for God's word to get into us. And, and, and sometimes John, not sometimes, but John was telling the readers what they needed to hear. But why did that like, sometimes not sit well with us? You know, and I'm thinking... Well, that's because, you know, I probably have bought in a little bit of this shades of gray culture that our world's in. And what I mean about a shades of gray is that our world likes to say that there's no absolutes. You know, like, what you believe is your truth and what I believe is my truth. It's everything's on a spectrum. And that's a shades of gray culture. And I might be listening to that because, you know, here's a surprise, people. This book is an absolute truth. This is the absolute truth. God's word is an absolute truth. Whether you believe in scripture or not, scripture's claim is that it's an absolute. And it's not for us to get into God's word and say, well, it really means this. You know, well, it can mean that. God says, no, you're either hot or you're cold. 
you're not lukewarm. It's either black or white, and it's for us to decide which side we're on when we hear this absolute truth. And our culture likes to water it down a little bit. And so when you read 1 John, and you might, and if you have this like type of attitude in us of like a shades of gray, it might be a little shocking to hear John. And for that matter, all scripture might be a little shocking to you. So as it was said last week, we're going to talk about love this morning. We're going to uh, pick up where Bill left off. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, Bill left off with this. This is how you know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. That's where we left off. So today we're going to talk about love. And when they were putting this sermon series together, they said, who emulates love at Mount Pleasant Scottsdale? Who could bring the message of love? Who oozes love? And they said, let's get Ken. And, <laughs> and actually, actually, Rick was on Panama. He was supposed to speak. I had to trade with him. So, so uh, no. <laughs> all kidding aside, our world has a warped sense of what love is. It's very warped. And us as Christians have to, have to show the world what love is. God's love. So we are going to start with verse 11 in chapter John, 1 John 3, and we're going to go to verse 18. We're just doing seven verses today. So 1 John chapter 11, it says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And last verse, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Well, let's just break this down line by line. Verse 11, it says, for this message you've heard from the beginning, we should love one another. All right, let's pray and let's ask the worship team to come up because we could end the sermon right there. If we just went home and studied this and just practiced this, what would our world look like if we just loved one another? <laughs> we love one another. Yeah, okay, I can love. I love my family. I love people in here, and I even love the, you know, the old widow down the street. But do we love everybody? I mean, we, we like to put little cabinets in our lives like, I love these people, but these people, not so much. John writes, we should love one another because it's not automatic for us. It's not an automatic thing that we do. And I can guarantee you with, with the utmost confidence when I say this, that there's not a person in this room that has not struggled 
to love somebody that's not very lovable. Did you ever run into somebody that was not very lovable and just say, you know what, they go in that filing cabinet of people that I cannot love. But that's not what the word says. It says we should love one another. And we kind of, and I'm willing to bet if I go through all the different versions of the Bible, the different ways, it says we should love one another as long as they are the same political affiliation. We should love one another as long as they dress like we do and look like we do. We should love one another as long as they worship the same way as we do. It doesn't say that. It just says we should love one another. It's difficult to live a Christian life, and it's going to grow increasingly difficult. We are called to live a different life as Christians. And if you've been paying attention these past six weeks, John, you've noticed, John has said we need to live a different life. We have to go a different route than the world goes. And what lifestyle are we called to live? It's a lifestyle of love. But be careful, it's not the way the world defines it. It's the way God defines it. And Jesus even says, you know, love your enemies. He says, love them, do good to them, bless them, pray for them. Those people that just like, oh, they get you right there. You know, do I really want to bless them? Do I want to do good to them? Do I really want to pray for them? I mean, you know there's, there's people in your life that have stomped on you for one reason or another, and it's really hard to muster up that prayer and, and say, God, please bless them. It's easy to say, God, inflict them with the same pain they gave me. But that's not what God wants us to pray. We need to pray for them. So our action steps, if you've been taking notes in your Bible, underline or circle the phrase, love one another. And it's not the only time in Scripture that speaks about love. The Bible has over 500 words of love in it that it's talking on love. So in the margin beside verse 11, if, if some scriptures of love speak to you, jot them down in the, in the margin. I'll give you a couple, you know, just to prompt you here. You see this one at football games held up in sign. John, the Gospel of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And one more is Matthew 22, 37 to 39. They ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So John began by saying we should love one another. And then in verse 12, moving on, it says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. John goes back to all the way to the beginning, the first family. He goes and points out the first case of somebody not loving somebody. And if you want to jot in the margin, put a little star. This is the story of Cain and Abel. It's Genesis chapter 4. Go and, if, you if you have not read that, go and read that later today or this week. But here's the gist of what happened. Uh, Cain and Abel were brothers, and they won Cain. He, he was a gardener. He farmers, farmed the soil. And Abel was a shepherd, and he did livestock. And at some point, God commissioned them to bring, them, bring him an offering of what they did, an offering of fruits and vegetables, an offering of the livestock. And they did. But there was a difference. 
king kind of brought an offering to God that was not, it was just kind of wishy-washy. It was kind of a, yeah, I love God, but here's my offering. And he just took some fruit and some vegetables and brought it before God. Here it is. There's my offering, just like you said. But Abel, no, he searched the livestock, the best of the best. Now, we're in, we're in fair season right now, the county fairs, and if you ever entered something in the county fair, like to be judged, to try to win the blue ribbon, you find the best piece of fruit or vegetable that you're growing, no blemishes on it, it looks perfect. And you, if you have livestock you're entering, you're brushing that, you're washing that animal. This is what Abel did. He brought the best he had before God. Are we doing that with our offering to God? Or do we just develop this wishy-washy type of faith and say, yeah, it's an offering, here we go. Or are you giving everything you have and you're saying, this is the best I have, God. And we're not talking the dollar amount or the amount of time you give. Is it the best that you have? But, John, but he, he take, you know, it's like this. C.S. Lewis, if you, some of you have read the book Mere Christianity. And C.S. Lewis points out something very similar to this. He talks to two men. And that one was, I believe, like a general or a commander of the military, and the other one was just a homeless man. And something happened that enraged both men. They got furious about something. And the commander who had the disposal of military might behind him, he had troops, he had weapons, he had, he, his anger just fueled so much that he went and he annihilated this nearby village, killing everybody in the village. Men, women, children, buildings, just flattened it. The homeless man, whatever enraged him, he, he got up and he stomped around and he might have, you know, all he had was his clothes on his back and maybe a newspaper that he covered up with a knife. He might have shredded that and, you know, kicked dirt. And when people see this, they looked at the homeless man and they said, ah, look at that crazy goofball over there, you know, walking the other side of the street. But when they heard what the military man did, what? He did what to that village? And they they wanted him to be brought to justice. They wanted him to pay for that because they know. But you know what? If you take man's law out of it, God looks at the heart of both men, and both hearts were the same. And he looks at the heart of the man. And when he looked at both hearts, they were both the same. And they had the same rage. And it equals like they're just as guilty before God with having the same rage for these people. So don't murder, right? <laughs> There's more to it than that. It's when we allow the ill will towards other people to get in our heart, we go to a dark place. And we may not murder in a physical sense, but maybe we murder these people in our heart, these people that don't think like us, these people that believe differently than us, and we murder in our hearts. And he's saying, don't be like Cain, don't go there. So are we Cain or are we Abel? Who are you? Who am I? You know, Cain loved God, but it was, it was the kind of love that the world loves. It's that wishy-washy kind of love, that, and it's not a very deep kind of love. It's just like, yeah, I love him. And Cain's version of loving God is exactly what some people may be struggling with today when we're presenting our offering. We don't do we really fully love God with our offering that we're giving God? John's writing 2,000 years ago to his listeners as well as 2022 today is don't have a weak faith. It's relevant today, so 
Don't have a Cain-type faith. Don't be a Cain-type Christian. Be able, be like Abel, and love God with all your heart, with all your soul. And so we move on to John 13. He says, after he just writes this, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. Now, wait a second. You just called and told me to love God as best I can to love one another. So if I'm doing that, how can the world hate us? Why would the world hate us if we're loving? I'll put a little asterisk, a little star beside this verse in the column. We're going to go to the Gospel of John 15, verse 18. And this is where Jesus says in verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. How could the world hate Jesus? It's Jesus. How could it hate us if we're doing what Jesus asked us to do and loving everybody? There's a very simple answer to that, why the world would hate us, and it comes to the very next verse, verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. What did I say earlier? We're called to live a different lifestyle than the world. If you're acting, if you come to church on Sunday, and that's when you're a Christian, but when you get on Monday morning and the rest of the week and you act like the world, it's going to love you. You're not going to be any different. You're going to maybe get in, into your little holy huddles, or I get into my holy huddles, and I start, yeah, this management around here, and you start, like, hating on management, you know, because you're not salary, and they are. Or you're hating on a group of people. You're being like the world. I'm being like the world when that happens. And he's saying, you're not of the world. I bought you out of the world. And we live a different lifestyle, and, it's, and we love differently. And God's understanding of love and the world's are totally different. And we'll get back to that thought later, so hold on to that. It's two different thi things. So let's continue. Verses 14 and 15. It says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Listen to this. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Here John goes again, getting real in our face. And do you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him? That's harsh, isn't it? That he says that you're a murderer. Well, <laughs> he's not the first one that says that. You know, we're going to put a little asterisk in the side of the column there, a little, little scripture reference, Matthew 5, 21, 22. And this is the famous Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus writes in 21, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is saying here, when you start to go there, you're in danger. When you start to go there in your heart and start thinking that, you go, it's a heart condition. You know, physically murdering is one thing, but in the heart, it has equally negative value. It will do the same in your heart. That's why in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, I tell you, don't commit adultery. Yes, the physical part, yes. But he says, don't go there in your mind either. Don't lust after somebody. Jesus says it's, going, it's a heart condition. It starts right here. So he says, don't hate your brothers or sisters. We kind of have to differentiate between the sin that somebody might be in and the person. 
because those are two different. You can hate the sin that somebody's involved in, but don't hate the sinner. He's saying, love one another. In this shades of gray a world, this world, Jesus invites us to live a different lifestyle. And it's hard sometimes. We're not to murder. We can do that because that's one of the big commandments. Like, okay, I, I won't murder anybody, but no. Jesus says, take it a step further. In your heart, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You know, do we really know Jesus? Like, is that, am I there yet? But he's saying, you'll know me. Love differently. Don't be like the world. Because, friends, listen to this. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are a new creation. We are a new creation in Jesus. And so this world that we live in is gone. We are of Jesus. So we're a new creation. So how do we know that God's love is in us? How do we know that we're getting it right? You know, that's, we might struggle with that. Well, we're going to go to verse 16. Now, John 3.16, the Gospel of John, is very famous. This is equally, 1 John 3.16 is equally as famous. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you heard this about four weeks ago, we learned that love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a person, and it came in the form of Jesus Christ. The world really didn't know what love was until Jesus came to earth and demonstrated us what love is. The world is great. It's great at watering down what love is. But... John is comparing two lifestyles here, the lifestyle of Cain and the lifestyle of Jesus, and there's huge differences here. Cain took a life. Jesus gave his life. And that's what he's pointing out here. He says, we need to give our lives to, and to our brothers and sisters, and let's get specific about this. The very next verse, John 17, how do we, how do we know we're loving? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's not wrong to have material possessions. He's not saying that. He just says if you have it and you're seeing somebody struggling, asking for help, and you just like, uh, and, you know, I hear this a lot now. Somebody's sitting there. I drove to Walmart, and they're holding a sign that says, need money, you know, struggling, need help. I just passed four places that said, now hiring, go get a job. I know that I heard somebody say that because I probably said it. I probably thought it. Shame on me. But, you know, he's saying if you see that person, give to them. Help them. I had a pastor friend that, we, that I asked him this specific uh, question years ago. It was around Christmas time, and you see a lot of people doing that because they must figure there's a lot of money being thrown around. And I said, you know, what do you do about that? And he says, I'll tell you what I do. He says, I give. Because this book says... Give. It doesn't say figure out if they're being sneaky with the money or sneaky with something. It doesn't say figure that out. It says give. He goes, and that's what I choose to do. And he says, because it's on them now. He says, I did my part what God is telling me to do. And if they do something wrong with it, the list, whatever you want it to be, that's on them someday. But he says, I just choose to give. I read in a devotional this week a girl from college, uh, her name, I think her last name is Pullinger, but I'm not really sure. But in my devotional, she got called out of college to go. She felt God luring her, calling her to 
across the globe, and she went to Hong Kong. And she went into this city. She fell in love with this suburb of Hong Kong that was terrible. It was the ghetto, and she just loved, fell in love with it because she could picture that place just thriving with God's love. It had prostitutes. It had drug dealers. It was just the vagrants of society were there, and she loved it. She said, ah, this is where God's calling me to be. She was 20-some years old, just out of college. Fifty years later, she's still there ministering to drug dealers, prostitutes, and showing them God's love. And she has a quote that I jotted down. She says, God calls us to have soft hearts and, and hard feet. And what that means is when we have soft hearts, we have God's compassion in us, God's love for other people in us, and we're willing to go places and do things that makes our feet hard. We're willing to go to these places. It may not be in Hong Kong, but it may be to your next-door neighbor. It may be to your coworker in the cubicle beside you that you need to go and show God's love to them. And what should I do? You know, when you read 1 John, you know, what's it look like for me to be a disciple? This is what it looks like when you're a disciple of Jesus. When you're going into these hard places, when you're sharing the world's God love, God's love. So if you have these material possessions, give. Give to the people that are asking, that, are, that need the help. Don't judge. Just give. And so the last verse, John 18 says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love each other as Jesus loved us. That's the way we are to love each other. If you know Jesus and you've accepted him as your savior, your pilot, your master of your life, the one that's leading you, we need to love each other the best we can. To love one another. It doesn't say when they start seeing things the way I see it, then I'll love them. It doesn't say it. Just start loving them. Love on these people. And we are called to be humble servants. As we, we worked through this a few months ago about this being a disciple of Jesus. And one of the ways is that we can be a humble servant. Charter Oak, we try to find jobs to do to show Jesus' love to the community. And, you know, just this last Friday, you heard Bill say we had, we gave back to the community. We want to share Jesus' love with them by giving the parents a night out. You know, just what, if you have children, you're like, oh, that's, I'm all about that. We, we've done different things in the past. And if you hear these projects come about, it's not about the project. It's not about that. It's about sharing Jesus' love with the community. And, you know, I know that early on, and there's some people in this room that participate in this, we had a lady in our church that needed closets built. And these guys, they donned their belts, and they went over to, their, to her house, and they built her closets. That's sharing Jesus' love. They didn't say, well, you buy the lumber, you know, maybe we'll. No, they just went over there. You know, I want to call and say, hey, we need closets built because these closets were awesome that these guys built. You know, and that's sharing Jesus. The list goes on and on what our church does. And, and some of you have stories of doing things for other people that just because you felt God's tug on your heart, because not because you want to make that person happy or like you better, you do it because you want to share God's love. I heard this, church, or this quote in my small group, and I don't really know who said it, so I'm not going to give you the, the, the author of it, but it was brought in our small group that says, if your church closes doors tomorrow, would your community notice? 
If your church closed its doors tomorrow, would your community know it's gone? And that, that impacted me just because, you know, not because we don't meet in, in here anymore. They say, oh, yeah, they're gone. You know, they notice. But because they notice us not out in the community anymore because our, our church is closed. Would they notice? So, church, without God in your life, what does love really look like? What's it look like without a God kind of love in your life? The world's definition of love is just flat out going to be imperfect. We're not going to know what love is if we don't have the God's love in us, that kind of love. And the world will use love every time to justify sin. Our world views love as a feeling, as an emotion, something that we can change, something that we can make go away at, at, at a moment's notice. It hoards love. It, makes it, it wants us to be self-indulgent with this love. And above all, the world hates Jesus. That's the good news because that definition of love is absolutely false because love isn't a concept. Jesus' love is not a concept, as I just said earlier. Jesus' love, love is a person that's in Jesus. Might have heard this one. I'll tell you what love is. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not proud or rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not eagerly eagerly, easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Is there somebody in your life that needs the love of Jesus? Is there a neighbor that needs some radical love of Jesus in your life? Is there a coworker? Are there groups of people that you don't like to be around for whatever reason? Do they need a radical love of Jesus? Let your heart be soft and your feet be hard. To close, Martin Luther King said, I choose to love because to hate is too much of a burden. Let's pray, church. Father God, you called us to love. We just read it. And God, I pray that you prick our hearts and disturb our soul, make us uncomfortable until we start loving the way you want us to love. Point, point out people in our lives that we need to love. Point out specific people, specific names, specific groups that need to see your love. And let us be the feet that bring that love. God, let, let, let me get out of the way so you can come through and show the love. Push me aside so they can see your love. They don't see me, but they see your love, Father. Let us be that vessel, that conduit, that your love just flows through us. Because, Lord, the world is watching us. They watch us with, with very strong binoculars. They're watching to see us Christians, how we react, the things that we post how we react to certain situations. They're listening, they're watching. Lord, let us just show them your love, no matter what, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name.